1: listeners i know that when you look at me there's so much that you just don't see because this is a podcast and podcasts are not visual mediums but if you would only take the time i know in my heart you will find An amazing episode of the HBO Max Movie Club. Hi, this is Matt Rogers. And if you don't know now, you know, those words I just spoke at Top of Ep, which we call the beginning of the episode, that's an industry term, Top of Ep, those were from an iconic song called Run to You. You can find that song, Run to You, sung by the iconic one and only Whitney Houston on the Bodyguard soundtrack. Now, I bring up the Bodyguard soundtrack for a very specific reason, because today on the HBO Max Movie Club, we'll be talking about 1992's smash hit, nay, cultural phenomenon, The Bodyguard, starring Kevin Costner and the late, great icon herself, Whitney Houston. And I mean, it's not every day on the HBO Max Movie Club, we actually talk about a legit, bona fide, worldwide media sensation. I mean, this stopped time. Truly, let's look at some of these metrics. It was released on November 25th, 1992. Its 30th anniversary was three days ago last Friday, so congrats. And this was, like I said, a huge, huge movie directed by Mick Jackson, written by Lawrence Kasdan. Fun fact, one of the co-writers of Empire Strikes Back. Let that run through your head. This movie was made for 25 million bucks and worldwide grossed $411 million, which is a surplus to say the least. This was the second highest grossing film of 1992 behind, maybe you've heard of it, Aladdin. And at the time of its release, it was the 10th highest grossing film of all time. The movie was shot primarily all over famous locations in Los Angeles. And while it was a huge commercial success, it unfortunately was completely panned by critics and has a 35% approval rating from 48 reviews and an average rating of 5 out of 10 on Rotten Tomatoes. The critical consensus is as follows, and this is a little harsh. The Bodyguard is a cheesy, melodramatic pot boiler with occasional moments of electricity from Whitney Houston. And I'm going to agree with that. Talk about occasional moments of electricity. I mean, this is actually some of the most iconic movie moments of all time in terms of music moments. I Will Always Love You, of course, maybe one of the most famous songs of all time. Its cover by Whitney is at the end of this movie, and you leave with your mouth completely on the floor. I mean, if you didn't think the movie was good, you probably forget just because of how spellbinding Whitney is in that last movie you know sequence of the film where she's absolutely belting her tits off to I will always love you and i mean what more could you want As a gay man, I can't say I want more. The film is listed, however, in the Golden Raspberry Award and official Raspberry Movie Guide as one of the 100 most enjoyably bad movies ever made. So Kazdan wrote the script in 1975 when he was working in advertising and was trying to sell this for years. It got him an agent, but it took the agent two years to sell the script. He says 67 people passed on it. He just could not get this made in Hollywood, which was honestly a tale as old as time in terms of some of the biggest hits in the industry. Sometimes you see a lot of people passed on it until someone just, you know, takes a chance. After Kazdan made his successful directorial debut with Body Heat, he was asked to direct The Bodyguard, but he was reluctant, so he directed The Big Chill instead. Huge decision. Really good one. Then Kevin Costner read the script and met with Kazdan. They decided to produce it together, and in April 1991, years after this movie was written, at least in its first iteration, it was announced that the film would star Whitney Houston in her acting debut. Now, just to give you an idea of how huge Whitney was at the time, this is like peak pop star Whitney Houston. This was a time where she was ubiquitous everywhere. You know, you imagine how big like Ariana Grande is right now. That was very much Whitney at the time. There actually was supposed to be a sequel with someone very surprising, and we're going to get into it with our guest. I actually did not know this, and let's just say I was shook in a sort of a phrase that the kids like to use. You know, shook. I was shook when I found out who was supposed to star in the sequel. The soundtrack is really the biggest thing to pull from this movie, though. It became the best-selling soundtrack of all time. It was the best-selling album by a female artist of all time, and it actually remains so today. There's a little bit of dispute about this because Shania Twain's Come On Over also gets this title, but in terms of... You know, you can't deny that The Bodyguard is a Whitney album. And I think people have a rub here because there's other people on the album. Like, there's songs on The Bodyguard soundtrack that are not Whitney. But I don't think anyone was buying The Bodyguard album for, like, Michelle Visage on track nine. And that's no shade to Michelle Visage on track nine, which is a fact she loves to bring up on Drag Race. But I just feel like people were buying the album for Whitney. And that's an opinion I will always hold. It was certified diamond in the U.S., which means it had sales of at least 10 million, and it actually, you know, achieved that feat many, many times over because worldwide the sales are over 45 million copies. Truly, if you go to your parents' house, you know, they probably have the album in some Form. It's just one of those ubiquitous musical moments. Houston's cover of I Will Always Love You itself sold $20 million worldwide. It is the best-selling physical single by a female artist of all time. The soundtrack features five songs which were hits for Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You, like we've been saying, I Am Every Woman, which is the cover of the Shaka Khan classic, two Oscar-nominated songs from this film, I Have Nothing, and Run to You, which I mentioned earlier, and the hit song Queen of the Night major, major album. So, if you don't know, now you know, here is a little synopsis of The Bodyguard. So, Rachel Marin is played by Whitney Houston. She's an extremely famous singer. When she's performing, there starts to be signs that she's being followed. There's actually an explosion at one of her performances, and it causes her team to absolutely freak out. They really feel like there's something going on here. They've been receiving mysterious letters You know, it's giving stalker, okay? So they go to Frank Farmer, who is, let's just say, uh, that girl when it comes to protecting bodies, okay? A.K.A. being the bodyguard. We see him in action. He's protecting politicians. He's protecting world leaders. And he's never really done the whole thing where he protects a big pop star. And we sort of get from the top that he gets very involved with the people that he protects. So, you know... When they meet and they have a little instant chemistry, he's immediately suspicious of himself. He's like, can I do this? Can I do this without getting emotionally involved? Spoiler alert, no baby, they just can't. They end up falling a little bit in love and as the plot thickens and we find out who's actually behind these attempts on Rachel's life, it gets crazier and crazier, okay? It's a real potboiler. Along the way, we get iconic movie moments in terms of big musical events. And um, even if you leave the film being like, yeah, that was okay, you definitely are humming the tunes, okay? Now, here's the deal. I knew that this was gonna be a major moment, so I got a major moment of a guest he is the moment Sam Sanders baby one of the people that I listen to you know all the time for his cultural analysis such a fun guy and I've had him on my other podcast last culture and they're really iconic episodes so check that out and um, I just couldn't say enough so here is our incredible in-depth incisive conversation on one of the most fun films the bodyguard Well, listeners, stay in my arms if you dare. (laughs) If you dare ingest some of this good, good discussion and dissection on this cultural phenomenon, the bodyguard. Everyone, please welcome Sam Sanders into your damn ears. Sam, hello, boo.
2: Hi, it is so good to be here. Thank you for having
1: me. I'm delighted. Oh, my God. Well, listen, it's not every day that I get to discuss a genuine bona fide cultural phenomenon here
2: on the pod. So I needed one of my most trusted cultural voices. Listen, I'm ready for it. It's funny. It's like re-watching. I knew the film was not Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. But all the data points about how successful this movie was, quite surprising. You know what? It was massive. Yes.
1: And I think to the point where it's like, the, a movie like that today... There's no way it does this No good. way in hell. And I guess you chalk it up to, like, monoculture. I mean, like, you forget, yeah. like, Kevin Costner was genuinely the biggest movie star of the time in many ways. And Whitney was the biggest music star. And so that, I guess, was enough. The power of stars.
2: Yeah. But
1: also, the thing about it, though, is like, and I genuinely think this is true. They were onto
2: something with this, with the pop star movie star vehicle. Oh, I mean... The bodyguard walked so that Gaga and Bradley Cooper could run.
1: 100%. And also, (laughs) uh, not for nothing, but a movie that got, like, mixed iffy reviews, like House of Gucci, a major hit. Yes. Like, Lady Gaga is a bona fide movie star. And the way that, like, you understand that probably Don't Worry Darling did as well as it did, which and it did, like, moderate success because Harry Styles was in it. So maybe there's something to the fact that the way we save
2: Hollywood is by giving these pop stars more of their chance. Listen, there are so to. many. Yes, there are so many horny Gen Zers who would watch Harry Styles read the phone book. Put him in a movie every three months. Why not? Yeah. I'm starting to think it's actually the best idea of all
1: time for Ariana Grande to be in Wicked. Like oh, I, yeah. I, I'm I'm thinking that she's actually gonna slay. And I'm now I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, there is that point in every pop star's life where they decide to take a crack at acting and by proxy there is that point in every gay man's life where they have to look at said pop star and ask the question was this actually good yes could the british accent have been a choice there's that sort of little it was like vaguely british i think she's trying to give like almost like that
2: mid-atlantic like actress thing yes i think that might be what she's trying to give Actress. well, And also, I love how her character in the movie points out repeatedly that she is up for an Oscar because she's that caliber of actress. And it's like, don't do that, Whitney. Don't do that, Whitney. Well, then that also begs the question, what exactly is the plot
1: of Queen of the Night in this movie? Like, they don't say anything (laughs) about what it is, No, (laughs) just that it's called Queen of the Night. And I'm like, what? Is this? What is because, it like? And, th- and then she's like singing the song Queen of the Night, and she's dressed in that sort of like we can say iconic like metallic outfit the first night when she gets like pushed off the stage. But I'm like, if this is the song from the movie Queen of the Night, what is what this is the movie? movie? What genre is it? What right. kind of performance is she turning? she's a front runner for Best Actress. Like that's a it's a hole I have for me.
2: It's also just like. I Googled afterwards. I was like, how much money did the potty card make? It came out in 1992. It was second that year in the American box office only to Aladdin. Yeah. It made $121 million in the U.S. And the global box office was over $400 million. You know what I think
1: that's a testament to? I genuinely think it's a testament to the music. Yeah. And this is what I think. You leave the movie with the I Will Always Love You moment, which is just such a stunning musical performance. I mean, it's such a great final sequence in a movie that, like, really could have earned it with, like, maybe two or three more screenplay passes and some cuts, doll. Yeah. But, like, so we need some cuts. (laughs)
2: Yes. It's two hours long, by the way. It's two hours long. Come on.
1: My girl should be an hour 30. And I really <laughs> think there's like there's things we could have cut. Like, I almost think we don't need as much of, like, the smarmy manager. No. And this is my note for every movie, like, *Stars Born Included, which I've talked about on this podcast. We have to cut that British manager. If there's a
2: British manager, this is a rule of culture.
1: If there's a British <laughs> yes, manager in your yes. movie, cut him.
2: Yes. Also, the sister plot line, I was very much like, I get why they did it. Also, why was she biracial and Whitney was not? Explain that. That, to me, is giving casting issues in Hollywood yes. in a way yeah. where we could <laughs> dive
1: in, but there's just more fun topics. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, basically, yeah. what I liked about that was I was like, okay, this, to me, screenplay-wise, script writing wise makes sense because how has this person had such access? Now we understand yes. it's because the sister is feeding. And I would say that it did surprise me like, at least as a young viewer, that the sister was involved. I wasn't catching on in that subtext as much. I thought maybe, oh, she's just unhappy the whole time. Little yeah. did I know uh-huh. it was very much a I'm going to kill you, bitch um, <laughs> vibe.
2: After we sing Jesus Loves Me together. Yeah. it <laughs> was so weird. Okay,
1: actually, I fucks with that scene, though, because <laughs> okay. that actually says a lot more than I think The movie pretends like they need to lay it on thicker than they do. In that one scene, you get it. Here comes this woman singing with this lovely voice, and then Whitney comes in, and not only is she better, but she's also adding melisma. Yeah. For the Bible. Bible. I was like, you better shut up. (laughs) You're like, your sister was just trying to have a quiet moment to herself in the snow, and you had to You're like, I would kill Whitney, too.
2: I would kill Whitney, too. How dare you?
1: She's She's got to go at that point but i'm telling you that when she is singing though oh, and this on. is why i think it was such a huge hit is because i th- honestly think against all odds they did have like a degree of chemistry i do think that they did and then at the end of the movie when she's singing that song i will always love you you know it's an iconic moment in movies like yes. and it's one of those rare iconic moments in movies in a probably a mediocre film that's being kind mm-hmm. but it is such a, an unforgettable
2: moment yes it was amazing. Yeah. When I got to it last night, I knew that they were going to do I Will Always Love You at the end, but I had forgotten that they had the whole turn the plane around, and then she runs off the plane in the scarf, into his arms, in the chorus of I Will Always Love You. It's a moment. And when I saw it start to happen, my body remembered.
1: Yes. And I said, oh,
2: it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. it's happening
1: it's one of those things it really is it's powerful which by the way whenever you picture it in your mind's eye later yeah it's always like more of a run it's, it's really like a, a pretty <laughs> it's, it's like a pretty a wimpy trick. 12 yes, step run to kevin Gosner, yes, like that's... like a gay gay men describing it after the fact oh my god and then she spritz the 400 yards down yeah. the runway and the planes <laughs> in the back and her, her bonnet is so iconic it's like Diva, it's five seconds. Literally. Her her arms sort of flimped at her side. Like (laughs) she very weakly. And then they give that long kiss where their mouths are like open the entire time and they're sort of just moving their heads.
2: It's like not a good kiss. It's (laughs) not. I think it was the scarf that really just, you're like, oh yeah, this is serious.
1: The scarf was iconography. It was iconography. And that,
2: this movie does do iconography well. You got to give it that. Oh, it gives you visuals. Well, there are moments in the movie where you see her in a shot, and you're like, oh, I've seen that still image of Whitney Houston for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I've seen the, the image from that movie. I've just seen her for 20 years doing that. That is what keeps me watching, because it's a movie I've seen probably five or
1: six times. Yeah. And every time, I'm always like, you know what this movie actually reminds me of, which is another pop star movie? Obsessed. So oh. I always act, like, obsessed with Beyonce, and iconic Ali Larder, you know, Idris <laughs> Elba. Early <laughs> yes. early Idris. Yeah, Like, and you always think it's going to be a more fun watch than it is. And then you're sitting there like, girl, we Oof. need to get to this fight. It, like, let's go. Yeah. And then the last like 15 minutes with Beyonce and Ali Larder fighting hand-to-hand combat is, again, a genuine iconic movie. It makes, it, that all makes it, all it all worth it. And then yes. you leave the movie saying, I will definitely see this yeah. again. I'll see it and again. And the vicious cycle repeats. <laughs>
2: yes. I will say whenever I see that movie, I want <laughs> yeah. to follow it up with JLo's Enough.
1: Which actually gives.
2: Yes. It's actually good. I just watched her
1: Netflix Doc um halftime. And it oh. talks about like how Jennifer Lopez is like an actually underrated actress and how she started out like with critical acclaim and then sort of peeled off to become, you know, really like the Latina rom-com queen because she made like a like a specific decision to do that. Yeah. Because she she knew she had an opportunity to be a huge box office household name that, like, she had never seen growing up. So she specifically peeled off from, like, those types of, like, you know, highbrow prestige films
2: she was doing to do that. Well, like, Out of Sight, that Soderbergh film yes. was great. And Selena. I mean, that's, that's a piece of art. She was up for a golden glow for Selena.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So with her it's like she peels off and like does this more populist like movie thing whereas Whitney I guess like biggest star in the world at the time does the bodyguard and like I guess who can tell her it wasn't a success. I mean it fucking
2: succeeded. The best selling album from a female artist of all time. Mm-hmm. It sold like 17 million copies just in the US. Yeah. I will always love you was number 1 for months. <laughs> it's it's undeniable. Yeah. She had so many songs do well on that album. Mm-hmm. By the end of the album's run, they would release singles, but no one would buy the singles, even though it was all over radio, because everyone already had the album. Right. You know, it's like they release Queen of the Night, and it's like, we don't even need to release it. No. Everyone has this album. Just put it on the radio. Just put it on
1: the radio. <laughs> it's in households. I mean, that is so true. This comes at a time when, like, the album was, like a ubiquitous thing Mm -hmm. in culture because it's not just I Will Always Love You. I mean, I would actually argue some days when I wake up and open my gay eyes and ears, Mm -hmm. I actually prefer I Have Nothing.
2: Oh, I Have Nothing is a more complex song. I Have Nothing is that girl. It really is. And like that will tear the karaoke house down if you can nail it.
1: Period. And also (laughs) not for nothing, but it was a gift to any singer that was a beltress on American Idol for years to come. You can be in the top five if you can nail that song. If you were anyone, you yes. sang I Have Nothing. I mean, we saw Jennifer Hudson do it. Von yep. Zell Solomon do it. Katherine McPhee did it. I mean, all the girls were getting their crack and I Have Nothing. Yeah. And it's funny because it's like,
2: it wasn't as big of a hit as I Will Always Love You, but it's the one singers want to sing the most. I think it's a more complex song. I actually think I Will Always Love You is a more difficult song
1: to sing which I don't think is groundbreaking, but if you really think about it, like, because I Will Always Love You kind of stays in one place for the first, mm-hmm. like, three quarters, and then it gets huge. You're not building to anything, whereas in I Have Nothing, that song is, like, pretty much a steady build, which makes it probably yeah. more exciting for a performer, yes. and also a little bit easier because you're kind of opening up as the song goes. Oh, Whereas yeah. I Will Always Love You just all of a sudden asks you to, sl- <laughs> to pop up into yeah, your, like... it's that's hard. It's really hard. And just, like, yeah. in terms of vocal dexterity, like, that is the moment. Mm-hmm. But then there's run to you. Yeah. Which, those runs in the
2: chorus are not a joke. They're not. And I remember for a while all the girly figure skaters were skating mm-hmm. to run to you? I know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, my God. Oh, I, can, yes. I, I, I already can see, like, in the arm choreography. Yes,
1: yes. Oh, Whitney. But also, how dare they skate to a song called Run to You? See, I have a logic See, bump. yeah, see, not I, right, not right. I have a major logic <laughs> bump already. But, I mean, also, like we said, the movie does, like, production value, iconography. It also gives... The ultimate gay set piece for a final scene, which
2: is the Oscars. Yes, and here's my beef with that Oscars scene, though. Mm-hmm. You know how they have them walk down those stairs? Never, never in live television. No, she's in heels walking down stairs with no guardrail. I can't. They would never book that. If she's the
1: front runner for the Best Actress Oscar, <laughs> she, she steps she away from the scene? stage. She's yes. in the back. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was so weird. I don't like that. I was like, they're not making my girl walk all the way up there. I understand we need to build suspense, but this is not logical. Yeah. My girl, I mean, when Jessica Chastain won the Oscar last year, she was in front of the stage.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also, spoiler alert, Mm -hmm. the would-be killer poses as a cameraman. Even in the 90s, he couldn't have pulled that off. I really don't think. I mean, this is
1: giving pre-9-11 in terms of security. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's a really interesting point. It's like, logically, like... Because the camera is a gun, which, by the way, metaphor. (laughs) uh, I guess if you pack that up together, like, no one's looking. But, wow, the security was
2: lacking. Yeah. Very much so. Well, because then it's like there's one part... Where they all have to show wristbands to get to the back and they're scanned? Was that at that scene or at the club scene? Oh, my God. Well, watch the club have better security than the Oscars. Right. Like. <laughs> but, like, at this moment in American history, yeah, they did have wristband scanning technology. Yeah. If that exists. Yeah. The Oscars are doing that or more. You cannot convince me that a sniper got to the backstage of the Oscars with a camera gun. No. I'm sorry. It's just not happening. Here's my thing, though, watching it and watching the kind of lack of chemistry between her and Kevin Costner. Okay, so you think there's a lack? I think there's a lack, and it makes me think that, oh, she's a lesbian. I wish she could have had a bodyguard with a woman bodyguard. And it like all it makes me think of when I watch them doing whatever they're doing Mm -hmm. is how she was never allowed to truly be happy with a woman. And that breaks my heart. Wow, okay, so
1: the sort of, you know, conversation around Whitney at large loomed into your brain
2: when you were watching this.
1: I guess it has to.
2: Yeah, and then it's like she's she's doing this thing where, like, she is performing a certain kind of chemistry, like a razzmatazz chemistry, mm-hmm. but it is so devoid of real connection. You know, mm-hmm. when you're into someone... You do things without even knowing it. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll show your neck off a little more. You'll lean in. Mm-hmm. Your voice will drop a little bit. Like, there's that physical thing that happens when you're into somebody. Mm-hmm. She does none of that, but still does, I'm attracted to you. So instead of the, like, mm-hmm. oh, I think I'm kind of into you. She does, do you want to fuck me? And you're, like, it's, like, it's just, it's weird. Sex does come very quickly. Quickly, it seems. Oh, they fuck right away, but she goes into bed with him after doing this like weird performance of chemistry that isn't actually chemistry. Mm -hmm. I get you. It's like she read the note that said, act like you like him, Mm -hmm. but she was doing the act like you like him of a person who actually doesn't like him. I get it. You know, there's some movies where you could see the leads actually wanting to fuck.
1: Oh, I mean, you ever seen Mr. and Mrs. Smith? They were fucking. They were fucking. I mean, yes. it's, but it's funny though. I know things are difficult for them now, but I remember like at the time going to see that movie and being like, honestly, I get it. Jennifer Aniston
2: will be fine. I know that. I know she doesn't have this yes. with him. Yes, and like you could see the sparks and you could yeah. feel the sparks, and their bodies were giving off fire. Mm-hmm. And there was never that fire between the two of them, even though I think Kevin Costner's a good actor, and even though Whitney was trying something, she was yeah. trying something. <laughs> I just think like. It's funny because you look forward in her career. She's a little better in The Preacher's Wife, but she's actually, by the time she gets Waiting to Exhale, she's good. She gets better each movie. Preacher's Wife, she's doing well. Waiting to Exhale, I'm like, you're funny. You're good. I like this. It's okay. Yeah, But I just feel like someone like her, we have no idea what kind of unleashed performer or actress she could have been if she was allowed to live her full life. You know, that's actually really
1: interesting you say that, because there is something about acting that I think for a lot of singers, if they would get out of their own way, they mm-hmm. actually it actually could be quite easy for them, because they know what it is to inhabit, especially someone like Whitney, mm-hmm. who really knows and, and is able to literally vocally inhabit any character or range in her music and every type of emotion. Yeah. And then you get the sense that they're, like I said, like the fence thing with Jennifer. Oh, yeah. That there's some sort of block. And you hear some Singers who try acting, like for example, I'll say Kelly Clarkson did one movie and was like, I'm never doing it again. But then yeah. you watch her sing a song, and I'm like, You're acting right there. If you got out of your way, you actually yes. could do this. Yes. And then to be honest with you, it's the more batshit ones that can get out of their way and do it, which is, I think, why we see Lady Gaga become sorry, but one of the biggest, most bankable movie yes. stars now with the backing up of Oscar nomination. Yes. I mean,
2: and it's, and it's for real. It is very for her. You know who else had a really good get-out-of-their-own-way performance? Who? Mariah Carey in Precious. Yes. She did it because she's just stopped being Mariah Carey. She stopped yeah. thinking about Mariah Carey's image. She just did what Lee Daniels said and just was like, she went there. Yes, I think that there's
1: often a mistake thinking that when we are attempting to get a vehicle going for a pop star, we give them pop star. Like, we saw Lady Gaga do that really well, but she also had, like, a great director and, like, a really, yeah. like, and truly, like, a, such a formula in the Star is Born narrative to perform. Exactly. Whereas, like, Mariah Carey and Glitter, Whitney in The Bodyguard, they literally play extremely close to themselves. It's too and close. And it feels like it's more difficult because there is the ego coming in, mm-hmm. which is, like, I have to play pop star well because I am one. And if I can't Mm -hmm. do this, then they're never going to believe me doing something else. Meanwhile, we see them play normal people later and we're like, oh no, this is more interesting because you. you think this is something easier exactly and your ego disappears
2: yeah because you're not doing you anymore you're doing this role it, like if the yeah. role is too close so they're starting, they just can't yeah she couldn't do it no yeah so true
1: also you know i've talked about nine to five on this podcast and of course yes. like dolly parton like who iconically wrote i will always love you but she's fucking great in nine to five yeah. playing someone who works in an office
2: there you go exactly
1: there's something to that make the girls normal take the makeup off
2: Yes. Now, the question is, though, for someone like Ariana doing Wicked, do we expect a good performance or a bad one? I will say the wild card with her, she grew up acting. Period. Yeah. Right? There's something to
1: these child star pop stars who, and then, of course, we find out later their lives were miserable. And, yeah. wh- of course, we don't want this for them. But you can actually really see it when some of them host SNL. Like, they're just performance machines. Like, you know who was great on SNL? Drake. Drake. Drake amazing on SNL. Christina Aguilera was good on SNL. Yeah, recently I thought Megan The Stallion was great the other night. Not yes. that she was a child star, but sometimes these pop stars can just get out of their way to do something big. Yeah. But another um child star, Justin Justin Timberlake.
2: Timberlake.
1: He was like the MVP of that show for years. For real. Yeah. For real. I mean, they were talking about putting him on the cast, but there is something to that sort of, you know, when you are such a machine from such an early age. So I think this is what's going to happen with Ariana, and this is my prediction. Okay, I think she's going to make a choice and give you an Ariana version Mm. of Glinda and not try to do a Kristen Chenoweth impression, and I think it's going to slay. Because I think think that people are going to be surprised. I don't think they would have cast her if she wasn't going to give a 2023, whenever that movie comes out for version yeah. of what the popular high school girl
2: is, or college girl. Yeah.
1: Because it has to update.
2: Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm so ready for it. Duh. Yeah.
1: And this is the thing. Even if it was fucking bad, yeah. and even if the bodyguard is quote unquote bad, Yeah. you think this is the last time I'm ever going to watch it?
2: Bitch. Come on. <laughs> Listen, all we need is Ariana to hit that one note. Yeah, no. Hit that one note and it's all worth <laughs> it. Right? Yes. <laughs> Same with the bodyguard. Whitney hits yeah. that one note, and you forget all the sins. It's yeah. worth it at that point, you know. It
1: is, and you know what? Like I said, I probably watch this movie like once a year because yeah. of gay, I guess. <laughs> and like it really that live performance that she does at the end of the movie of that song, and she hits the big <sighs> note, and the credits roll. It's like you will sit. I'll be sitting through the credits. Yep. That's Crying. this is one of those Crying. movies where I, I will <laughs> be sitting
2: through the credits. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. Fun fact about this movie, because I went down the wormhole rabbit hole once I watched it last night. You better. They first had the idea for it like in the 70s. Yeah. And they'd written a screenplay for Diana Ross.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And
2: she didn't do it.
1: First of all, that sounds exactly right. Because that probably followed Lady
2: Sings the Blues, right? Mm -hmm. And they probably were trying to make her like more of a thing. Yeah, Yes. And so that just went on the back burner. And they picked up the same script and then gave it to Whitney. And we saw that version. Mm -hmm. But after it was such a runaway success, Kevin Costner wanted to make a sequel Mm -hmm. with Princess Diana. Whoa. And they were going to do it, but she died. Wait, so Princess Diana was going to... Act? Yes! Yes! Wow. I mean, I'm trusting Wikipedia.com, but they don't lie. I mean, first of all, Wikipedia.com,
1: there are hurdles. You have to jump over to get something on Wikipedia, okay? Yes. You can't just be any... It's vetted. You can't just be any old girl, like, putting yes. something on there. It had to come from a sourced article, so you know. Mm-hmm. But, wow, that would yes. have been truly surreal. But then I have to say, and you know what? That would have been an absolutely huge hit, let's just say that oh my god like just wow what will we have princess diana singing at the end
2: hopefully nothing i'm not sure she could
1: see wow if she if, if princess diana had pivoted to musical actress the power that that has
2: <sighs> well you know we're just a few years away from a duets album from harry and megan oh lord i need them to just take a seat <laughs> i'm like we get it
1: now, on this podcast, I have a segment because I can't help but be myself called But How Is It a Queer Narrative? Where I examine the film, and over a techno beat you may hear in the clubs, I state how the film is representing queer narrative. So Matt Stillo, my beloved producer, hit my track. Let's get it. Idol worship, silk scarves, obsession... Papa paparazzi, being a multi hyphen it. Ooh. Intense emotional connection, then I'm on a plane. Deuces! Taking something country and making it pop. The Oscars! It's Hollywood's biggest night! And best actress this year? It's really a bloodbath. Queens, more specifically, Queens of the Night. I'm jealous of my sister. She has to die. Random sex at a party you immediately regret. Naming your one God given child Fletcher. How about this metaphor? The camera is a gun. Really censoring the idea of the body. Ill-advised sexual relationship to begin with. Okay, thank you so much. Wow, that was that was how this movie is a vast yes. intense yes. queer narrative. <laughs>
2: that worked for me. Listen, do we have anything to add? Did I miss anything? Please let me know. How else is this film a queer narrative? It is a queer narrative because we find out 20 years later that, that the romantic lead was queer. It's queer because Whitney was queer. We love you. It's queer
1: because (laughs) Whitney was queer. And you know what? Here's the truth. Here's the real God's honest truth. Yeah. Even if Whitney was not a lesbian, and that was like the fixation, right? It was like- Yes. It was like around like the aughts when this started to become like a widespread rumor because I believe it was like sort of an under the table rumor throughout the 90s. But then when we get into the aughts and we're sort of in that era of like Perez Hilton asking like pointing fingers about who's gay and who's a lesbian, Mm -hmm. I think like- she couldn't actually admit to that for so many reasons, but also she probably was just queer. She probably did just exist in the middle. It's giving intense and also it's, it's giving it's, it's giving fun, it's giving romantic, it's giving sensual, it's giving intense, it's giving unforgettable. There we go. And honestly, who doesn't want that? And you know who else gives that energy in the interviews I've seen? Ms. Robin.
2: <laughs> there you go. Whitney knows how to pick them. Whitney knows how to pick them.
1: <laughs> Ms Robin is giving top <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Whitney was like, I'm getting it from some place no matter where come it on. is. But I think honestly like in this day and age, it would have been easier for her and probably even embraced Duh for her to come out as like a queer woman. and then who oh, knows? Yeah.
2: Maybe we do get a more dropped in the bodyguard performance, then we can get the sequel. Come on. <laughs> I want the bodyguard sequel. Lord willing, if Whitney were still here, mm-hmm. the sequel is she's an aging diva trying to mount a comeback. Yeah. But as part of her comeback, she's going to finally tell the world that she's queer. Yeah. And what better way than falling in love with your Butch woman bodyguard?
1: Played by Dana Owens. Ah!
2: Yes, ma'am. And yes, I did just say
1: that on the HBO Max Movie Club. <laughs> I, <laughs> Write this screenplay. I <laughs> want it. I mean, speaking of, like, you know, there's been rumors of a reboot of this. In fact, pretty solid rumors about a Rihanna reboot were was coming out. Now, here's the thing. Rihanna. Um, l- here's what I'll say. I watched Battleship. Okay. You and unfortunately millions of others. <laughs> talk about talk about a hit. Battleship oh, yeah. popped off. But like. If she's going to have priorities, it's got to be, you know, her billion dollar beauty line and, and the clothes and everything like that. And then music. Well, let's get the Super Bowl together. Yeah. And then to hear there was rumors of a bodyguard reboot. I'm like, I don't know that this needs to be the top of Rihanna's list.
2: No. Also, you're going to have to, she she can't do I Will Always Love You again. Can't do that. You cannot ask grounded to do that. She'll be dragged for even trying. No. So you have to give her a new power ballad that can stand as tall as that one. That's hard to do. And then you've got to sing it as strongly as Whitney sung I Will Always Love You. Yeah. It's an impossible feat. If I were redoing The Bodyguard, I would only do it with a belter. And who is that? I mean, here's what I'll say. Let's see how Wicked goes. Let's have that conversation. Let's
1: talk about Ariana after. Oh, not for nothing. Not for nothing. And then maybe also something a little bit more funny. <sighs> and then, like, Donna Glover. Oh,
2: uh, yeah. You know
1: what I mean? Like, something a little bit more comedic, like a more comedic reboot of The Bodyguard with Donna Glover and Ariana Grande, I think would would
2: pop off. I would like that. I will say I cannot watch her in that kind of movie for two hours with the same high pony. I'm gonna need some different hairstyles. We're gonna need wigs. (laughs) We're gonna need
1: wigs! I mean, we're gonna need some sort of update Mm -hmm. of the aesthetic. This is what I will say. I don't think we're gonna get the ponytail in
2: her movie roles. She can't do
1: it. Because it makes you just think of the pop, you know? Well, that's like a bridge too far in terms of like, we can't fully commit to... Like, with any of these pop you're stars that act, Whitney. like, you're watching Whitney and the bodyguard, you're aware that it's Whitney the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, it, and that's fine. Try to disappear but, a little but bit. But at least, like, Whitney is giving you shades of another person, whereas, like, if Ariana's yeah. gonna come out in the ponytail, then, then it's Ariana. It's Ariana. Ariana, call us. Yeah, call us. Well, damn, this has been a comprehensive, truly, like... This is canon. This this is the canonical only review of The Bodyguard.
2: I loved it. With no one I trust more in this world. Oh Sam, God. thank you so much for being on the pod. This was so, so much fun. Anytime you need me for anything, let me know. I'm such a fan. I really am such a fan. <laughs> I mean, likewise. That Likewise. And look at that. I mean, we'll do it again sometime.
1: It's the chemistry The Bodyguard was missing. They could never. <laughs>
2: they could never. Okay? <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Bill. Thank you so much.
1: All right, that's it for this episode. Come back in two weeks for our season finale, a special episode on all things Batman with the one, the only, Danny Pellegrino.
2: Saved by kitty litter.
1: (laughs) Oh, bastard. If you haven't already subscribed, rated, or reviewed HBO Max Movie Club, please do so on the iHeartRadio app, HBO Max, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might get your podcasts. Thanks for joining the HBO Max Movie Club. The movies we talked about today are currently available on HBO Max. Check the show notes for exact streaming dates. HBO Max Movie Club is a production of HBO Max and iHeartRadio, hosted by me, Matt Rogers. Our executive producer is Matt Stillo. Our producer is Sierra Kaiser. And today's episode was written and researched by Kate Voss. Thanks, everybody.